0: to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw.
1: And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. Hey, welcome back.
0: Thank you. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way.
1: Covering bicycling, trains and transit, adventures and life hacks, and today, filling the gaps
0: we're plugging or, it back in yeah
1: or, or finding where the gaps are and filling it up I don't know Is mm. that the an infill infil infil metaphor yeah, right yeah i am trying to like go yeah. for that we should put
2: housing in between other housing yes Sweet. Like houses
1: for Look, there's for your a house. space there. Let's put a house there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've got Michael Anderson in the studio with us tonight. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. I'm so glad to be here. And you are a third time guest, correct? I, I think so. I've also been part of a joint
2: like monster show at one point, so I think okay. that, this might yes. actually be my fourth Sprocket appearance. Ooh. That well,
1: was the, uh, gosh, that was way back. The, this is way back. The Portland Foot Sprocket podcast yes. crossover episode. That's right. This was even before my time. All
0: right. I think that was like when I just got into Portland, actually. Oh yeah. W- w- when was that relationship to the Portland of Foot Scavenger Hunt? That was 2013. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would have that mm-hmm. would have just been it then. Yeah. Well, it's been too long. Welcome yeah. back on the show. Thanks. And Michael here is, uh, or is here with us today to talk about uh, residential infill and some of the policies that Portland is looking at uh, uh, in the years going forward. But first off, Aaron, let's let's catch up. It's been sure. two weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah. How are you feeling? Uh I'm feeling all right. I just I'm, noticed, I'm gonna go with all right. Today. Okay. I just noticed <laughs> your your shirt has a has a band on there. Uh, uh, Tommy yes. Castro and the Painkillers. This is true. <laughs> and, it's great blues. Not necessarily
0: it, good great cure for back pain but um they they could be some crossover in there
1: (laughs) yeah but hey you're you're upright this is true and and that's that's not nothing
0: yes i spent uh most of monday through last thursday actually not being upright and just laying on my stomach in bed so uh this is this week is looking up and uh as far as back entries go i am getting some pt in tomorrow which i'm very Thankful that that's finally being able to happen, and uh, we're looking at a nice six to eight week road to recovery, according to the research I've done. But again, we, we shall see <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for a slightly better news tomorrow, but hey, you know what it's I a mean, process and six I'm still to eight
1: here. weeks isn't terrible. this is you true know, it's this is very it's true. better than like someone saying yeah, well, you're just gonna have to deal with the pain for the rest of your life.
0: That is quite true. I think that's Which one a lot of, the, of
1: a lot of back injuries end up that way.
0: Oh, for sure. Well that's been some of the interesting thing. Like you whenever you get injured, I'm not sure if folks have that tendency to like self-diagnose because it's just so easy with the internet these days. Yeah. Of um yeah. you know, spending more time than one should being like, hmm, what is wrong with yeah. me? Uh but in that regard, yeah, no, I mean six to eight weeks in comparison to so many things is just a blink of an eye. And fortunately, um, through some of that research, what I've been learning is that back pain. Um, is more manageable through physical therapy than most people maybe give credit for. Right. Um, and so I'm I'm hoping to take my pain right now and just either normalize my my senses with it or or hopefully get a bit of recovery out of that. <laughs> right. So we shall see.
1: Right on. Yeah.
0: How have you been?
1: Oh, not too bad. I I actually spent most of yesterday. Um, is it prone? Like on my back? Yeah.
0: Yeah, or prone would be on your stomach. Oh, okay. It's can supine you be prone or on prone. Your back? I can never remember. Oh yeah, supine I think, or I think prone. prone is on your stomach, but I, I uh, could be off.
1: On regardless, that. Uh, I was on my back most of the day yesterday. No, and, well, is it, it, it was mostly out of laziness. Maybe. Oh, okay. That, that's acceptable. <laughs> uh, speaking of self-diagnosing, like I don't know how many things I diagnosed myself with uh. yesterday. Really, I'm just tired.
0: Okay. Do you feel like <laughs> um, you just lost your win there, or?
1: Well, it's Saturday. I went up Salzman, mm. um, and you know I haven't. That's the first time I've done that. Like, gosh, possibly in two years. Actually, okay. definitely the first time I've done it in a year. How was it? Uh, oh, it was great. Um, long, but it was great. Okay.
0: Did you come back through Thurman or did you just go back down Saltzman through uh, Highway 30?
1: No, went down Skyline mm. and then into Washington Park. Oh, nice. And then eventually down uh, Burnside, West okay. Burnside.
0: I've, yeah. uh, I've actually not shot off the backside of Forest Park through over to that Skyline connection very much. Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, usually I'm either like going beginning to end or, or hopping down Germantown uh, or something like that. Saltzman is my favorite. I joked one about to going bombay. down
1: Germantown, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Germantown yeah. was fun. I was with two other guys from from where I work. Uh, one guy, this was his first like long ride, mm-hmm. um, and his first like kind of you know long uphill mm-hmm. ride. Mm-hmm. He normally just commutes, and um, it was sort of like he he had blown the sidewall out of one of his tires before okay. before this, and so. Um, kind of in exchange for helping him change this tire, we sort of, uh, talked him into doing this ride with us. Oh, nice. <laughs> and you he was like,
0: we'll give you a two, but <laughs> only if you go to the top of Forest Park <laughs> so- with us.
1: Something to that effect. Okay. Um, but he was like really concerned, you know, I don't know. I've never done a really long ride before. I don't mm. know if I, I'm in shape. And he runs all the time. He's like skinny as a rail. He's in really good shape. Mm. Um, and he's got this like super light carbon road bike. And did so he, I said, smoke you up to the top. Oh, well, I said, like, lift your bike. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, here, lift this tire or lift this wheel. It's <laughs> like my my dynamo wheel, mm-hmm. <laughs> which weighs about as much as his entire bike. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll be all right. <laughs>
0: yeah. Absolutely.
1: And yeah. Yeah. He was, he said he, he got that last push up to the hill, like right before it meets Skyline there. Mm-hmm. Um, where like the the hard packed dirt meets actual pavement, uh, he said it was it was a little tough in that last push, but gotcha. I think it's it's just mostly, you know, you've got I don't know how many miles of just that hill mm-hmm. you know just it's gonna, up, winding like up winding a mile, up winding up like mile
0: like mile and a half maybe
1: i was, I was know, thinking it was like two and possibly three oh really interesting maybe it's not that much it oh, just well, seems like more
0: <laughs> Saltzman to me is always a bit of a time warp because i never ride up it and i always ride down it if I'm i it.
1: have never ridden down it
0: ooh that is my favorite exit out of forest park really hands down granted i haven't gone off the backside like i said but um as far as the front side exits i think saltman's where it's at okay
1: I like going down Skyline because it's paved, and I feel slightly more sure of myself Yeah, like going at speed over yeah. paved ground.
0: That makes sense, because Saltzman is like a hard pack gravel. Not not quite the same consistency of the upper trail. Well, and, I, it, and it like mixes. In, yeah,
1: yeah. Like, there's some that's paved. There's some it's where it's hard packed. There's some where, like, it may have been paved, and now there's hard pack oh. over the paved portion. Michael's nodding his head here.
2: I went up Salzman yesterday for the same number of times I do every day of my life. It was zero. So I went
0: up Saltman for the zeroth time yet not, again. Not a fan of the Saltzman, the Saltzman connection.
2: I, I just, it's not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I respect it.
0: Well, I think one of the things that, that may have precipitated that ride and, and many rides around Portland in general is our weather that we've yes. been having lately. I, I think it's important to note because as often as we notate how terrible it is, these last five, seven, I don't know, it's been like scarily long now, have been just phenomenal weather-wise.
1: Yes. yes, Um Well, and that's that's part of what made us decide on Saltzman, was mm. it was just so nice out. When it's really like hot, that's an area that just stays pretty temperate, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good tip. What are your favorite spots to ride around town, Michael, or... I don't Do you, like to ride a bike. I I've okay. worked professionally like writing about bikes, writing
2: about bikes <laughs> for 8 years and We've I can't so many I, listeners I think I've taken one ride for fun. I've disclosed this on the sprocket before <laughs> yeah, actually I think. Yeah, but I, I, think I, think so. I think I I just don't can't imagine riding a bike. I ride my bike almost every day, but like why would you get on your bike for no reason? It makes sense. <laughs> it's it's got to be
1: like to be to go somewhere, yeah, right, right? Yeah, right. right. That's I
2: don't know
0: yeah for sure to each their own yeah, yeah i think I think that's the kind of nice thing is you can you can get around in portland with or without a bike it yeah. is it is after all the simple living and alternative transit podcast not right. the not the bike only podcast right <laughs> <That's laughs> right that's true all the bikes are pretty fun
2: i agree yeah i mean it's the best it's the the worst form of travel except for every other form of
0: travel yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: fair enough fair enough well, Michael, we have you in the studio this evening to talk a little bit about an article that you published recently. And this ties a little bit also into Madeline's visit that we had earlier this year. Yeah. Um, so this was published just a couple of weeks ago on Medium.com. And fill us in a little bit about what is going on right now in Portland.
2: Can I take you back and sort of give you my, like, personal story as connected to all Please. this? Please. Yes, uh, absolutely. Right. So I moved to... Port. I, I. was born in Ohio. I uh, like a lot of most Portlanders. I guess I wasn't born in Portland. Um. Uh. And uh, moved to Portland about uh ten years ago. Moved to the Couve and then spent a few years and then moved to Portland in and the 2000- Couve is oh Vancouver, Vancouver Washington okay. yeah in two thousand nine and um I would say that in the time that I have lived in Portland I have seen the city change dramatically a little bit in its appearance but mostly in its population i would say so like when i fell in love with portland i was living in longview washington and i was visiting a friend who it was this was like a bunch of people who were like the hippie sort of tech people before Mm -hmm. you could make any money doing like tech startup coding who were like really into coding because they wanted to i don't know build cool things and Mm -hmm. um so i was sort of into that scene and I was staying and I stayed overnight in this house where a bunch of people gathered once a year and did a pie baking contest and awarded the same like bowling trophy to each other every year and like sang a giant Phil Oaks and Stan Rogers sing-along in the basement Mm. and um, I uh, and I was just like what is going on here you know I was living in a smaller city and just the the idea of so many people who were really smart and didn't seem to have any money doing interesting things like in the middle of a city and riding bikes everywhere among other things um was so uh strange and wonderful to me right uh and since and this, so i i moved to portland and got to know it better and got to know it's a much more complicated place than that obviously but sure the uh around 2013 i would say i really just started to notice a serious change in what was going on i more and more people i knew and my friends moved away, and uh, uh, it seemed like a lot of Portland was changing quickly, and I didn't know exactly why that was. And so I became more and more and more obsessed with housing policy. Even while I was writing about bicycling and transit okay. and how to make them great, it also started to occur to me that um, you know this if we're building all this great stuff, what is the point if it's only going to be for rich people? in the end like it's nice for the rich people that's great that's i'm not don't have a problem with rich people inherently but um
0: you're talking about equitable distribution of yeah i mean i feel like
2: everybody should get to benefit from public investments basically doesn't seem bad um and the um so uh meanwhile i was realizing actually so uh, what happened in that time Mm -hmm. from 2010 to 13 people continued to move to portland rapidly during the recession and we did not build any homes because of the credit crisis broke destroyed the financing of portland uh, housing and yeah so the population exactly yeah the the in both in portland and the suburbs the number of people in portland increased 60 percent faster than the number of homes vacancy rates plummeted Nobody could find an apartment. Landlords all realized nobody could find an apartment. Jacked the price up until mm-hmm. they could maximize the revenue, as every human being does. Uh, supply
1: and demand, right?
2: I guess it's not just supply and demand, yeah. but on an individual level, that is yeah. exactly what happened. I think, yeah. Okay. And the uh, result of that was that uh, in twenty fourteen, the average rent went up by a hundred dollars a month in Portland. And um, wow, the uh, so that's. per year that was coming out of, like people complain about tax increases. That was a tax increase that didn't even produce any new taxes. And uh, every renter in the city paid it basically. Mm. Uh, And it was much larger than any property tax increase we've ever passed. So the, this combination of factors got me more and more interested in like, how can we fix this? Where can we solve this problem? And I think um, that's what led me to the realization that we need to be not just building more housing, but building housing in different ways and figuring out how to change the system. Like, we can't fix the system with the same system that created the problem necessarily. It wasn't a terrible city. Obviously, there were all these wonderful things for me. But, like, what I didn't see when I moved to Portland was that 20 years before that, like, if I had grown up in North Portland uh, and uh, maybe if I'd been black, a bunch of my people I know from growing up there would have been priced out then, right? Because um, the only reason I was able to that I've been able to survive in Portland is because I have a a nice college degree that my parents paid for more than half of. The reason they could do that was because my dad was the first in his his family to go to college, and that was because his parents were homeowners in South Chicago, Mm -hmm. which they wouldn't have been able to do if they were black. So anyway, there's a whole line. Every category of privilege has made me possible to live in Portland, basically, and uh, it shouldn't be like that, right? Like, that is a screwed up way to decide who gets to live in a city. So... Anyway, that is a long summary of what I see as sort of the big problem that is causing uh, what are, to me at least, unwelcome changes to the city and an inequitable distribution of
0: the wonderful things that
2: we love to talk about mm-hmm. here. Does um, that
1: all make sense? Yeah, it makes yeah it makes a lot of and, sense. And,
0: and yeah. what you're working on now is kind of trying to, at least I, I view it as, not, not like PSA, but educate, inform the public, or at least to you, you write these very... Ah, uh, well put together articles about yeah. about informing people what exactly is going on, and sort of right. one of the things in, is through that. Um a lot of those messages and a lot of those concerns and a lot of those points do come up as factors within within that infill and that housing structure Great. sort yeah. Of system.
2: Yeah, so let me switch to solutions. I, I'm part of this group called Portland for Everyone, which is a project of Thousand Friends of Oregon. It's like an anti-sprawl organization. It's been around since the 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, I write a few hours a week for their website about housing stuff, like trying to point towards what are the things we can do to fix this problem, right? What are the ways we can change the game? And one of the ways we could change the game is by letting people put homes where they're not allowed to put homes right now because it's illegal to have, for example, a duplex in almost all of the city of Portland. Like mm-hmm. You see a lot of duplexes here because they were built before they 1959. Were, yeah. And in 1959, there was a big change in the zoning to make it so that you weren't allowed to build any more duplexes. That was terrible. and You weren't allowed to build any more little garden two-story garden apartments in most of the city mm-hmm. or triplexes. You'll see these all over the place, but that is because we were still harvesting all of the neighborhoods that we built before... We banned them, Mm -hmm. Uh, like all of the central Portland neighborhoods, almost all of them.
1: What was the reasoning behind the ban? Uh,
2: That's a good question. I have not done that research. I would risk speculating that in 1959, some of the uh, subtext was the end of uh, restrictive covenants. Uh, The Supreme Court recently banned restrictive covenants that banned you from selling your uh, home in much of Portland to uh somebody who is of asian or african american descent okay uh but i don't know i'm sure there were many other narratives and people were saying i think that there's just an impulse in a lot of uh a lot of the conversation to say oh we will achieve everybody having nice things by mandating that nice things be the mandatory right and that doesn't yes. actually change the distribution of nice things <clears throat> right. right right so right. like yeah. not backyards are nice i agree backyards are nice therefore everybody must have a backyard and you cannot live here unless you buy a backyard sure. wait that doesn't it's, work, right? But backyards are not getting any cheaper. In fact, because we are remain, yeah. remaining mandatory minimum lot sizes, backyards are definitely not getting cheaper. Right? And, and it's
1: that- the car in every garage kind of argument, where mm, yeah. you know everybody gets this luxury item now, right? But the sort of the, the not spoken part of that is there's this credit debt that, that people like mm-hmm. auto industry or not auto industry, but auto sellers mm-hmm. start giving lines of credit. Start, you right. know, uh, attaching themselves to banks and, and credit lines, or
0: or also uh, another way to may- maybe say s- similar or the same ish thing would be that uh, keeping up with the Joneses is what it is, but shouldn't necessarily be the city policy handed down.
2: Yes, through. Yeah, legislation. Uh, that yeah. too.
1: Yeah, that's way better. I'm, I'm I'm, well, well, I haven't changed my answer. Right <laughs> <on>. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way either.
2: Uh, yeah, that's good. Um, yes, it should be an option, but not a mandate. The uh, so, speaking of which. There is now a proposal on the table in Portland to re-legalize duplexes, corner triplexes, double ADU. So an ADU is—actually, I live in an ADU. It's a house in the backyard of another house. Accessory dwelling unit. Accessory dwelling unit, a cranny flat. Um, That's
1: different from a flagged lot. That is different, yeah. A flagged
2: lot is like a whole different property, and this Mm -hmm. is on the same lot. So we share with our friends— You have the
1: same address number, essentially.
2: Unit B. All right. Right. Uh, Except it's in a single-family neighborhood. So it's like a single... I'm putting... Because there's a duplex across the street from me because it was built before 1959. (laughs) But this (laughs) is apparently like a dangerous, dangerous thing in our neighborhood to have another duplex nearby. So instead of having a duplex, we have a detached ADU. Anyway, it's all pretty technical. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, the rules say right now, you can only have, for the most part, one house plus this small mini house, ADU house, on any given lot. And they want to change that so you can have two homes of any size up to a total of 2,500 square feet
0: okay, um, would be is the current proposal so and so the goal from the city perspective like theoretically is that that would lower the price for people looking to be housed in portland two in different
2: essence. yeah exactly two, two different goals and reasons that could work Okay, one is that the new housing that is built right now a, a fair number of the new homes that are built are built to like uh, three thousand or more square feet and they cost like nine hundred thousand dollars each some in some cases they even knocked down a one house and put up another house so they just blew half a million dollars to replace a middle class family with a rich family basically which could be worse. it's not the worst thing in the world but it's not productive it's not a good use of half a million dollars in my opinion so the um, uh, I think a better solution would be to say if you want, you can build two houses on that space and have two middle-class families move into this nicer, newer house uh, in place of that other one. Uh, but we also, uh, to re- to reduce the total number of demolitions, we're going to cap the size at 2,500 square feet so that even if there are more than one house, if it's broken up into multiple houses, you have more small units instead of a bunch of, or actually instead of a few big units. Okay. that makes sense? Yeah. Good yeah, so far? I think so. All right. Um the second rate way it helps, potentially, is by simply increasing the number of front doors in the city. Uh, family sizes are going down, so you have a bunch of people who are living in housing that is really bigger than they need to. When my wife and I were looking for a house, we could not find a house that was small enough that like, we didn't want to pay for extra space, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why we're in an 800-square-foot ADU right now. Uh, but the um, So with shrinking housing sizes, the way to maximize the efficiency of the housing in the city is to have smaller homes and make it legal to have smaller homes. And Mm -hmm. and there's also energy efficiency benefits. You have more people living close by. They don't need the cars. If you have them sharing walls, they don't need to heat their whole house all the time. There's a bit of a cascading effect. Exactly. There are all kinds of benefits to doing this. The cost to doing this is that, one, your neighborhood might look slightly different because of the old building going down, the new duplex going up. But again, that's going to happen less than the new old building going down and the one house going up. Mm -hmm. And And secondly... It will be harder to park on the street.
0: Yeah. And you've also written extensively in the past about just the effects that mandatory minimum parking has on the cost of units. And I think um, I might be forgetting the article there, but it adds something like $700 per unit per month. That's or? a low ball. Yeah, okay. okay. At least yeah. that. So that, that's or No, already... I'm sorry.
2: Uh, not not per month. Not per month. A hundred per month or so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, More than seven or per year. Yeah.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I want to thank you for the for the clarification on that. Yeah. So in in that regard, it it plays into a lot of the work that you've already done in terms of sort of pointing out these nuances of uh, policy versus actuality, I guess, Mm -hmm. if you will, or or policy versus empiricism. Uh, for for lack of a better term. And one of the things that was interesting is that in your review of Portland's housing policy, uh, so Portland is, quote, about to intoler- and overhaul its entire low-density zoning code to legalize small homes and then would make it financially unlikely that a meaningful number of small homes would get built. Yeah. And so um, could you speak a little bit to sort of where the city's at and, and uh, why it's maybe not the best idea to go forward with what the current plans are?
2: Right, so let, let me layer that up things on top of each other the last thing i described like legalizing duplexes double adus corner triplexes that is level one that is like a slight improvement over the status quo because people could actually do this if they wanted to okay level two making things better than that slight improvement would be to say actually it would be better if you built smaller units right it would be that that we would rather have that small unit or actually we would rather have two or three of those small units than one of those big units or we would rather have two or three or four of those small units, f one of them was below market rate and affordable at a subsidy program to somebody making eight percent of the median, mm-hmm. um, or uh, we would rather have an extra unit maybe if it was available to people with disabilities and people could use the bathroom in a wheelchair without having to knock themselves over. The um, There are all kinds of things we want from future housing that aren't necessarily being delivered by this rule that today... That They're not being delivered by this rule that today says you can only build one house on a lot. So ways to improve that would be, it's pretty simple. You could just say if there are more homes on a property, then each home is allowed to be a little bit bigger than, like a duplex could be a little bit bigger than half of a one unit, right? A triplex could be a little bit bigger than a third of one unit. So if you do that, then there's an incentive for... Uh, when it goes down to make sure that what happens when a building is demolished is a little bit higher density higher supply mm-hmm. more housing options in a neighborhood
0: yeah so if you're going to put the work in get 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 more out of it from right. a utilitarian standpoint exactly will.
2: exactly right and okay. the, every time we replace one house with one house in this city we are wasting a bunch of money in a boiling planet mm-hmm. uh, so that is among the reasons we should do this so right now it's it, this this um, goes up before may 18th then people still have time to email the city and say uh, this is a good idea you can go to portlandforeveryone.org and go to ac- take action and well there'll be a link to to do that if you want to okay. do this but um i would say it is very important if you want this to happen if you want the city to take things away from the one-to-one replacement and towards the one-to-multiple homes replacement to let your voice be heard because there are many people who think that any change in their neighborhood is bad change and they are definitely making their voices heard.
0: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I, that makes me think of the um, Stop Demolishing Portland signs I that was, I've seen around. I mm-hmm. was
1: wondering like how I could bring that into the conversation. Yeah, okay. there, there's a couple yeah. of them. I'll, I'll, no, I'll... no, no, you go. <laughs> you, you've already got a, a something.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, so there there has been, I, and I, I'm um, assuming this is somewhat of that allude, is that there are certainly invested members in keeping the status quo. Mm-hmm. and And there's a lot of um, inherent power and inherent funds that are associated with that effort is that something that you think Portland has an opportunity to sort of see all sides of the table, or, or basically what it seems like right now is that most of the side of the table is already towards that end, and we're just trying to bring it a little bit closer to the middle in terms of uh, equitability in in new housing.
2: It can always get worse, so yeah. uh, okay. we are. Uh, <laughs> I guess I would I would I look at the glass as a little bit half full, but. Uh, The, um, I think it's a totally natural impulse to see a cheaper, which is really usually in most cases a middle class sort of home, replaced by a rich people home and think this is making the city worse. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, including like you know, duplexes that are newly built are often cost more than this uh, house that they were replacing, Mm -hmm. and so that's requires you to think about and like. Uh, trust in the fact, I guess, that the people who were moving in would be moving into somebody else's house otherwise, right? Mm. So, like, that is the thing, is we can't stop people from outbid, if richer people, like, I can't stop a richer person from paying more for my house than I would, right? right? And the only thing I can do is give them somewhere else to live. The only thing we can do is make it possible so that the richer person who wants to move in Portland and enjoy its benefits has some place to live that was not previously the home of somebody less rich. And I think most rich people uh, would prefer that as well, honestly, uh, if it, that's within their own budget, right? So um, there are some site-specific problems with that, and specifically if you have like a long disinvested neighborhood or a, a cultural, like rich cultural history in a neighborhood, and that sort of changes really fast, then that can be really bad. Mm-hmm. But I think at the general we should use some tools to prevent that from happening but at, at the general citywide level you still need to have enough homes for the rich people to live that is not displacing poorer people and it goes all the way down the chain like sure. the rich person displaces middle class person displaces the poorer person and so on
0: or or in general as it ties in sort of to portland's urban growth boundary is uh, how i've often explained it is more so now than perhaps ever or at least perhaps in about 20 or 30 years portland's really combating that either grow up or grow out mm-hmm. uh, combination. And so it, it's true. We do have a choice. We can choose to make policy um, in one way or another or a myriad of ways. But being really honest with ourselves about what that UGB means and how that affects our lower income and middle class communities, uh, it, it feels is is still a conversation that hasn't quite concluded. And I don't even know if we're halfway through it, but it just feels like that is uh, something that needs to be wrapped around because... You, you've kind of got these two camps, the, the build uppers or the build outers, or, or uh, I guess not to break people into camps, but just to say people have different goals. And I think that one of the things that's important to keep in mind is how can we have a, a equitable distribution and also allow people, um, you know, a fair degree of liberty or freedom within that system.
2: Phoenix and Atlanta prove that you can have, you can solve the affordability problem at the region-wide level by sprawling forever Mm -hmm. the problem is that then people spend the half their lives in cars driving back and forth getting sad getting fatter getting not not worth uh, the negative externalities per se and um the and not to mention paying for all the freeways in 20 years when they start to fall apart and it is more efficient and better for everybody if we build those close to each other and the thing is that like that is why the central neighborhood Portland neighborhoods are so awesome is because there are enough people nearby to support a corner shop yes. and there are that many yes. people nearby to support a fast rapid bus. So mm-hmm. you don't need to own a freaking car and, uh, and you can walk to places. Exactly. And you right. Can, yeah. Yeah. You can walk yeah. to places, whatever. So like, I think it's easy to frame any change as like only seeing the bad parts and there are annoying like it is annoying we own a car and it is annoying when I can't park directly in front of our house. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, uh, just gotta bite that bullet right, sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um and if the trade off is that and I can And It's annoying walk to, to the
1: person whose house that you parked in front right, of. Right, exactly. That, yeah.
2: It's yeah. a chain, it's right. It's displacement of cars <laughs> all the way down the chain. No, but the um uh but ultimately like the reason that we can only own one car in our family is because we have like a bunch of cool places to walk with our kid uh and don't and like when one of us is at work uh, when my wife when my wife's on the hill at the hospital we don't need to have another car for me to get
0: by Mm -hmm. and and for example if you had to sacrifice three blocks out of your day so that you know five percent more portlanders could have affordable housing I think that's not a bad bet. Like I'd be willing to do that three blocks. It's not as simple as that, obviously, but, but sort of in that sense, like, I think you're a pretty nice guy. No, right? Nothing is. <laughs>
2: what's
0: that one song? Well, I would walk 1,000 right, right, right. Five, 5, miles. I wouldn't walk 5,000 miles, but you know yeah. what I mean? Like there, they're you wouldn't they're... walk
2: 5,000 miles <laughs> for one, one baby. I would, I would
0: bike 5,000 miles for a baby. <laughs> all right. Hands down. All right. Um, but, but in that sense, you know, it's, it's, it's all about this compromise. And uh, so, I guess I'm curious, have we seen other examples within the U.S. where this type of zoning or this type of planning has been put into effect to a very high level or to a very um, deep degree?
2: Uh, In the U.S., we have seen our own history, I think is the best example. Portland was growing Mm -hmm. much, much faster in 1900 to 1920 than it is today as a Mm -hmm. share of its population and even almost as fast in just in terms of raw people. So it was growing immensely quickly in that period. Same thing in World War II when the shipyards were building the boats uh, that won the war, uh, the all these people were moving here from all over the country and uh, we were shoving people. We re- we legalized garage units then. So we yeah. had our first ADUs at the time and um, there were a bunch of other measures that were taken. Some of the housing was just terrible, but, the, um, but a lot of it was good and we can still see it today. Like the best of the housing that was built then is still standing and is still the core of the best neighborhoods in Portland, in my opinion, like yeah. the, the ones that yeah. are the most and actually often still relatively affordable because there are all these older, smaller units that weren't built with par- car parking everywhere yeah. and so yeah. on. So, um, yeah, there's that elsewhere in the United States. Really, since 1920, when we started instituting single family zoning widely, it has not happened. No other city has ever boomed in the way that Portland did since then. Interesting. Uh, not that not por- even I mean,
1: like any of the California cities.
2: No, that's the whole problem. Right, like they've <laughs> they've grown absolutely, yeah. they've grown, but nothing has grown as fast as
1: you know, including LA, as LA did in the. Uh, Any time I think of like, of like rapid urban growth, my mind goes straight to LA, mm-hmm. and you know, like right. all the West Coast cities. Yeah, well, there. they sprawl. But no yes, city itself that's
2: true. has grown in population no, within its limits. Right. Uh, they grew out. They grew out okay. instead of growing up. Exactly. And so before it, we made it illegal to grow up or to fill in, in this case, right? We're talking about, you know, not – we're not talking about towers here. We're talking about like two-story buildings. Okay. But the – yeah. Um, uh, to put a house where a driveway used to be, then um, – yeah, it hasn't been possible. Other, other cities, other countries, uh, Tokyo, Vienna um, – I would say much of South America, a lot of cities uh, have found ways to grow under different rules. And so I think part of what we should be doing is like looking at what's working in other countries as well as just other cities in the United States.
1: But yeah.
0: Yeah. And then bringing it back back towards the housing there, if they were, and and you sort of outlined this in the article, but if you were to outline like say three or four things that Portland could take about its current roadmap and, and tweak that for... Uh, better distribution what what would those three things be
2: number one uh one of the rules says that if you are basically almost anywhere east of 205 you can they're going to cap the size of a new building but they're not going to allow smaller like duplexes or more units and that is especially troublesome because the only way that we can get like in a future east portland gentrification scenario if we for example have a rapid bus on division street that oh, we were so close right we were so close <laughs> yeah yeah uh
0: we, we may get there one day
2: so but the downside of that is that if it is nice to the extent that it is nice it may drive up prices in the area right, and the way yeah. to counter that is to make it so that the new homes that are built in the area when prices go up are smaller homes and ideally include at least one below market unit right so mm-hmm. and you can do that with a fourplex in east portland they're all every affordable housing developer in portland is saying we could do this if you would let us put more than one house on one of these lots, like if the price goes up, like this is the stopgap scenario and you cannot do it because you cannot build a below market. You can't subsidize a $700,000 house into affordability to most people. Right. So it just takes too many dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, The, uh, so that one thing would be make sure make it so that every, everywhere in Portland can have multiple housing uh, units on, on a lot. And another would be, don't require parking anywhere. There is nowhere in Portland where a car is more important than a person. You can build up as much parking as you want. It just shouldn't be mandatory, right? Right on. Um, a third would be, like I'm I mentioned- I'm surprised
1: you didn't say just ban free parking altogether. Yeah,
2: I am I mean, I would do that, but people would, <laughs> then people would get pissed off, and right. then they would put <laughs> really? me and my friends Can't, out of office. <laughs> and, right, yeah. Can't That's build weird. a platform on that. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, And then the- a third thing I would say is that, uh, like I said, you can if you can increase the size of each home in a building, then you're going to get more of what you want, which is smaller homes. So
1: there should be a size incentive for each additional home. So you mentioned like apartment complexes a couple times, or or mm-hmm. or yeah, larger. Um, but you're mostly advocating for smaller, many smaller homes in in a property versus building like, yeah a, that's a what larger, i'm talking about right now because yeah. that's what's on the table okay
2: i simultaneously strongly feel that we need to have apartment buildings uh on corridors and actually in my this is a secret in my ideal city it would look a lot so it's more it's
1: not an if or or right? it's no, not no. a either no no or no, no, no. kind of absolutely kinda thing. Not. okay
2: yeah uh and uh so my ideal city is more like uh copenhagen for mm-hmm. example where it's like six stories everywhere yeah just everything right up yeah. Like I don't have a problem with that. They were there big, nice courtyards in the middle of the apartment buildings. and Everybody shares a backyard and um, everything is much more close to each other. That is the bigger difference between a lot of the older European cities and Asian cities and the United States than any of the infrastructure on the street.
0: Do you think it's a matter of perception? Like it's simply that which is foreign is, is distrusted or that which is not tried before is, is viewed down upon because I feel like it's, just such an effective way to do it. And we've seen it work in so many cities. Um, I know like in Iceland, I was really surprised they do something similar in Reykjavik where it's all like back alleys and back corridors. And Mm. and for them, it's a similar deal where it's, you know, five or six stories, uh, but all the backyards are little minis, but they're all shared together. So you kind of walk through and you're literally just, you know, right next to your neighbors. Some folks tear their fences down, let the kids play across seven or eight yards. Yeah. Like we can still have that community factor in fact i would argue you could have more of it in if, if done intentionally if you um, it's as if like but it seems like people are scared of that in portland for some reason like very frightened of that
2: I don't, I don't know i've i've been to a few houses i went to one party for like a work party once there was like four like townhomes or something next to each other it was an old old building but they all they had knocked down their fences and they just had one big backyard and one sweet bike shed and like a huge space where we had set up a volleyball net and like it was a dream. I I could not believe. And like so, and my, I, we live in a house that is an ADU. We have a one year old, and our neighbors have a two year old, and they are best buds and do everything together because we share a deck and a lot. And we are not going to have another kid. They are not going to have another kid. But we know that our kids are going to have like a a child relationship through their whole lives mm-hmm. because of uh, the fact that Just we share proximity. this yeah. right exactly. So like, I don't think it's a scary. I think it's certainly scary to some people, and it's not what everybody wants, and it shouldn't be mandatory. Mm-hmm. But we should. It, it's illegal in almost all of the United States, and like, if if there's a talk about supply and demand, guys, like uh, the there is almost nowhere where you can live that lifestyle if you want to. So we shouldn't make it so scarce.
1: Mm-hmm. And I wonder, is it you know, we mentioned you mentioned it being illegal to have you know multiple houses on on one property. Um, and then now we're talking about sort of a sense of community in a way. Did we unintentionally ban that sense of community mm-hmm. by, you know, um, not having as much proximity. Absolutely. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I like, I,
2: mean, I think it's a good point that it was unintentional. I don't think that was anybody's
1: oh, no. feeling. Right.
2: And, but everyone wants that, like, you know, yeah, lot with their yard and right. garden, and which whatnot. I totally understand. Like, Talking about the same couple that we're so close with now, we were driving each other insane. We were all trying to share a kitchen,
1: and um,
2: (laughs) the uh, so like some space is good, and different people have different tolerances for space. But it's you should let people live at whatever level of space and proximity they want. It seems to me,
1: but certainly everybody needs access. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean,
2: uh, that's like ultimately this doesn't solve inequality. That's another problem here. Is that like this? We are. The argument for abundance makes it better, easier to achieve a baseline for everybody, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't change the problem of inequality, which we talk about like both and we need to also be like, addressing separately but or or in combined we should be doing everything w- yeah. to, to increase abundance with an eye to like is this also hurting inequality because if it is then i'm out right yeah but the a lot of the things that this does by reducing transportation costs by integrating schools and neighborhoods by income by making it easier for people to interact and help each other those are the building blocks of society that reduce inequality that improve mobility that help people help themselves and one another so um it seems to me that this is part of the road to doing that and also happens to be part of the road to abundance in general
1: indeed i can get behind this all right sweet
0: <laughs> cool well thank you michael for yeah. coming on yeah. the show is there is there anything else we'll we'll do the we'll do the um link and plug one more time all right. but i think you. that's i think that's been a wonderful transit and housing conversation
2: thank you i'm glad to have done it i always had can't talk about housing too much
0: uh my we, we won't make our listeners stay on for an extra hour and a half here tonight <laughs> right <laughs> Good
2: call uh portland for everyone all spelled out.org, and then click the take action link on the menu should take you to a page that will eventually take you to the testimony awesome
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah thanks for coming in um do you want to do headlines and mail with us yeah awesome
0: before we do, we should mention that it is now a lovely 85 degrees oh, in the airstream. Yes. <laughs> but but you know why I'm not ready to call it quits yet, Aaron? Why is that? Because I'm drinking a ice-cold Happy Mountain Kombucha dragon fruit flavor courtesy of the beer mongers. On Southeast
1: Division and 12th?
0: You know, on Southeast Division and 12th, if it's a hot day in May, you might just be able to find the beverage you've been looking for.
1: Most definitely.
0: What are you having over there, Michael.
2: I'm having the uh Hop in the Pool Hellas by Basecamp, courtesy of the same folks, I think. Is that yep. right? Yeah. Uh I uh I'm enjoying it. It was the least alcoholic of the three beer options here. <laughs> I wanted it, talking about housing is hard work.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> you want to be sober for that. That's right? right. Yeah. Uh I'm I finished a strawberry basil seasonal brew doctor kombucha. Uh they only have this out in the summer. Ooh. It's Strawberry and kombucha, like those two flavors, really go well together for me. Hmm. Um, does think, it?
0: Does it eclipse the Lionheart, or is it? Is it a happy contender?
1: It's a happy contender. Okay, Lionheart did have a strawberry um, at one point. Probably also a seasonal. We might see that coming Ooh. up sometime soon. Um, it was very tart the last time I had it, which I I will say I was hoping to. Um, Duplicate that with this one. Okay. It's not quite as tart. Still very enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. Just not quite as tart as the Lionheart.
0: It's it's in the kombucha quiver. Yes. Nice. Yes.
1: Trivia: Lionheart, one of the first
2: four advertisers to Portland Foot, my old magazine about transit. Oh, really? really? Yeah. Right when they found it. (laughs) Right when they launched, they were uh, Amanda's a friend of uh, my current housemate. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's awesome.
0: (laughs) I love those Portland connections. Yeah.
1: Well, first up. I love,
0: Don't don't ever use that. Don't worry. Every week, week after week, fifty-two weeks a year, <laughs> without fail, we will happily use we that sounder. We will still use that. Thanks, Tim.
1: Thank you so much for composing that, Tim Mooney.
0: It's actually it's it's quite honestly my favorite sounder. Oh in, yeah. In the show, <laughs> not not to uh, not to put down the male sounder by any regard. I'm,
1: I'm okay with that being your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> uh first up the second thursday of every month is the joyful riders club in minneapolis
0: the second friday of every month is the boston bike party
1: also second friday of every month the indianapolis bike party
0: and last friday of every month the baltimore bike party every
1: second sunday of every month here in portland wait was that last sunday was that yesterday I believe that would be Damn it, I missed it again. No, no, it was <laughs> the Corvidai Bike Club Ride. They meet here at Peninsula Park. Caw-caw! Caw-caw!
0: That's okay. You can catch the folks on the Tuesday ride every now and then as well. <laughs> uh, on May 16th, we have the Santa Cruz, California Ride of Silence, courtesy of leader Gregory Braithwaite.
1: May 17th is Oh My Dollars book release party.
0: And May. 18th is the comment period yes yeah i got it yeah nice (laughs) so may 18th is the comment period if you want to submit your thoughts and or insights to how portland should approach its housing let folks know
1: may 19th dc bike ride
0: Also May 19th, the Pogus Run Relay in Indianapolis. And I'm sure that I pronounced that wrong because I did not look at it before the show.
1: (laughs) I think it's pronounced Pogues.
0: Yeah, the Pogues Run Relay.
1: Not related to the band.
0: That actually sounds much better.
1: June 2nd, the Gifford Gravel 50.
0: And June 2nd as well, the Wiser River Ride.
1: June 3rd, the Blessing of the Bikes here in Portland. We'll have more details in our mail segment.
0: And if you can make it to the blessing of the bikes, it has one of my favorite uh, like DIY image or infographics for that. It's it's oh, a yeah? very it's a very good infographic for that ride. Nice. June fifth is the Mount Tabor stair carry.
1: June sixteenth, Rivello's third anniversary wing ding barbecue.
0: And June twenty third is the Petal Pedal ride.
1: June nineteenth, Portland Century. September second,
0: Tour de Lab.
1: September 8th through 9th, the Bike MS-150.
0: And September 22nd, the Lowell Kinetic
1: Sculpture Race. And some upcoming film-by-bike tour dates in Albany, New York, July 22nd, Seattle and Vancouver, Washington, soon to be determined, Arcata, California in November of 2018, and Bendigo, Australia in October of 2018.
0: And now for...
1: What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights. Did you miss that, that song? I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was, it's from the very beginning. Right? Oh, yeah. As yeah. far as I know, yeah. Ripper. Too bad they're not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, first up in our mail, look who's following us on Instagram. What Ms. Georgina Terry herself? I'm I'm quite uh, I don't know, I I feel somewhat embarrassed or starstruck by this, <laughs> dude. I, Interesting. Oh yeah, I love. Well, that, I should I not should say, say you this. Be, but... I, I I inherited my love of Georgina Terry from my partner lady Anna, mm. who really really loves Georgina Terry. Mm-hmm. Um, the first uh women specific frame builder um and uh i don't know i just that's I pretty believe, cool i can't believe she's the first
2: specific frame builder yes all right yes
1: I, and I, I think it's fantastic she has a georgina terry symmetry and i actually acquired a georgina terry athene um and i she's following the sprocket now what well hello great. hi georgina Thanks thank for you following yeah us. thank you so much
0: yeah um, i i think it's um uh, <clears throat> I'm just, I'm just pleased as punch. I think it's nice.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, for some actual news, rather than just me bragging, from Streetsblog, <laughs> study links the rise of SUVs to pedestrian, the pedestrian safety crisis.
0: A new study from a major group, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, points to real-world causes and practicable solutions. Using federal fatality and crash data, IIHS performed a regression analysis to examine roadway, environmental, and personal and vehicle factors on pedestrian deaths between 2009 and 2016. The average annual increase in crashes involving SUVs was 3.1% higher than the increase in other vehicle types combined, wrote researchers Wen Hu and Jessica a
1: And here's a little infographic of pedestrian deaths by land use, by road type,
0: hmm. and by Arterials are doing mighty really high there by
1: location and light condition. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Um yeah, it's interesting. The article actually points out um one of the one of the um I don't know, it seems obvious in retrospect, but it didn't seem obvious to me anyways. Mm. Uh the factors why SUVs um tend to be more fatal to pedestrians is how they hit a pedestrian. Yeah. They're higher up, they're more likely to hit somebody in the torso than in the legs. Mm. Um mm. and the sort of the speed and mass of these things. Yeah. Uh, much higher than. That's- so whenever yeah.
2: I see a movie and somebody gets hit by a car, like in some, and then they survive because they like flip over the hood right, or whatever. Right.
1: Oh yeah, that's realistic. Right. Right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> I'm always like, that's not going to happen. But yeah. I it's- never see somebody survive a hit off an SUV because they couldn't film it they- in a way that would even be plausible right. for them to survive. They're right? not going to flip over. Yeah. That thing. Huh.
0: I think it is interesting too, and um, I'm trying to remember where I read this, but the what Toyota Rav four has become the number one selling SUV in America uh-huh. and it correlates for the
1: number one killer in America. It,
0: yeah. And this correlation, I would be curious to see what the line up factor is between SUV sales in the U S and the statistical increase in death by road type because, um, SUVs as an overall vehicle class are and continue to be the most sold in the U S right.
1: Um, someone had, well, this actually came to us from, uh, Josh G. Uh, Thanks, and I think he actually even forwarded me a, another article about how Ford stopped making just regular cars except for one model.
0: They were like, um, Nope, screw that. Yeah.
1: They're they're following what they claim are market trends. Mm-hmm. And you know, the market trend is is SUVs and trucks.
0: Yeah. Well, um, we all know how good at gas mileage those are.
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, I haven't finished reading that one, but mm. it's it's interesting how those two sort of connect to each other. Yeah that is and that is our yes or
0: our uh, headlines what's what's
1: next is we got mail hey we got mail yes uh from amon in right here in pdx he says hi Aaron. i was one of the people who recognized you at film by bike i had friends in town from florida and my run-in with you at the bike festival was a great way to introduce them to the bike scene here in portland I don't know if I'm the bike scene in Portland, but <laughs> but thank you. You heard uh, it here first. Yeah, I, Aaron is the bike I, scene in Portland. Not, I think seeing the strong velo culture here made them more confident. When we did group rides later in the week, it was nice meeting you. And Eamon, it was nice meeting you too and your friends. And um, yeah, I always hope when people come here in Portland, whether they're related to me or whether I just meet them, that they sort of take some of that Portland stuff that i I love about this city mm. back with them, uh, especially when it comes to, uh, to quote Eamon, velo-culture.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that term. I think, it's, I think it's a really good descriptor. Yeah. From Darren S. in Australia, we have, quote, my mother's been there, done that, and got the magnet. Speaking of Portland.
1: Yeah, and he sends us a magnet of Portland and Mount Hood.
0: With the wonderful um I think that is that out of the Rose Gardens there, kind of overlooking downtown Portland ah, yeah. over mm-hmm. to Mount Hood. Yeah.
1: I,
2: I think I had that same photo on my wall for a while. <laughs>
0: it's yeah. a good one. Yeah. I wonder what magnets will be like the de facto like classic Portland magnets, like thirty years from now. Because some seem to like fade in and out and then others, hmm. it's like, oh yes, that was that piece of art which like 30% of people have in their home. Oh. I think I think volcanoes are always going to be pretty awesome. Volcanoes are pretty damn awesome. Yes. Darren also says, remind listeners that all the previous episodes, even older than the iTunes feed, are at sprocketpodcast.com
1: Yes. And he wants us to remind that because Darren was on episode 84 way back in 2012. And here we are. A text from Ranger Tom. We mentioned this infographic earlier. Uh, he says, "Hello, would you please include this event on your calendar?" Yes, we will. Thank you so much for forwarding it to us, Ranger Tom. And he sends us a little infographic of the bike I just, blessing. I just
0: like, as far as holy figures on bikes go, like <laughs> yeah, you just can't go good. wrong with that one. It's such pretty a good. such a simple logo that gets the the point across.
1: And there's a there's sort of a schedule to the event. Uh, Twelve thirty, eat. One thirty. Blessing and 2 o'clock Riding um, And that would be At 2800 Southeast Harrison Street uh, I do believe like That's the foot of Mount Tabor there Yeah, yeah about right. of Just off the side
0: From Chris R <laughs> I was doing a short climb and the crank Broke off, original crank from 1995, Shimano This was my first serious Injury since returning to riding Yes, aluminum cuts nicely. Just thought I'd share the real world dangers of riding old bikes.
1: Yeah. How does a whole crank arm come off like that?
0: I don't know, but it was dangerous enough for me to read it in a different voice. <laughs> that, was,
1: that was nice. So I, one, I, one should watch out. I wasn't, I wanted to interrupt and be like, what were you doing? But it was just too good. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the and... second crank
0: I've heard uh, breaking this week, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, one of the fellows at Breadwinner had one break on him. Oh, no. Uh, when we were, not when we were doing the filmmaker ride, but he was re- recall, recalling the story of a crank breaking. So I, I guess it does happen. But um, Chris also sent a photo of said injury. And I would like to say, swift healing to you, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pulling I was you.
1: actually trying to pull it up. I didn't include it in the show notes on purpose. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, good luck, man. mm <laughs> Uh, Let us know when you're better from Ivar, who uh, wrote to us uh, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago,
0: two weeks or yeah, two weeks ago, I believe.
1: Uh, Thanks for featuring my mail in the podcast. You're pretty much spot on with your analysis of what I was trying to say. It's good that more elderly people get to bike and stay healthier longer. It's sad that people still die riding their bikes. My neighbor is 86 years old and rides his bike every day. My parents are in their 70s and pick up my kid from school on their bike. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And
0: I would love to be 86 and still riding a bicycle. Yes. That sounds pretty awesome, actually.
1: I also wrote the mail to see how it compares to the situation in the U.S., and I honestly say, I don't know if we even have any data on that, do Yeah.
0: We? I... Haven't heard of any sources. I think that one thing that will be interesting um, for everybody to keep an eye on is how e-bikes are influencing the market. And I think that what I've observed over the past five years is that about five years ago, uh, it truly was like e-bikes. What are those? That's strange. It's cheating. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it's
1: cheating, yes.
0: I think within the last three years, it's it's the tech has finally gotten to a point, and the price, while still quite expensive, has come down mm. relative to its initiation. Um, I I think that e-bikes are going to span the generational, I guess, borders, but also in yep. that sense, we're going to have just as many, or hopefully more, folks who are using that technology to extend their ability to ride into later life as mm.
1: well. Right on. Yeah,
0: I I rode an e-bike here. Because my back was out and I can't oh. I can't pedal a real bike, so that's when an e bike comes in handy.
1: <laughs> what e bike are you using?
0: It is a Raleigh IZ nope, not a Raleigh IZip. That would be two brands together. It's a Raleigh EPath Plus, uh, which is kind of like a upright city commuter bike with okay. vendors and a back rack.
1: Right on? Huh? Yeah.
0: That the the perks of having a bike shop that'll lend <laughs> you a bike when you're right. when you're uh back is thrown out
1: so you're still you're still like going into work and and stuff aren't you
0: yeah i've been doing half days this week um and and just pushing it till the pain gets to a point where it's like nope kind of can't do that anymore so just trying there
1: wow for sure man well good luck thanks
0: i'm i'm optimistic i'm 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 pain in pain but optimistic
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you ready for this
0: let's do it
1: The Sprocket Podcast is produced at StreamPDX Community Audio Studio, thanks to the generous support of Open Signal.
0: Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com.
1: Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Call or text 503-847-9774.
1: Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Herbird for our headline sounder.
0: Marcus Norman for graphic design.
1: And thanks to sustaining donors Logan Smith, Shadowfoot, Katrina Mellingard
0: wayne norman doug robertson ethan georgie
1: justin martin eric iverson cameron lean
0: richard Wisinski, tim mooney glenn kubish
1: matt kelly eric wise todd parker
0: dan Gebhardt, who's, who's a, a time, time traveler, traveler dave knows chris smith
1: christy kaster caleb jenkinson jp culey
0: peanut butter jar matt marco Lowe, rich otterstrom
1: andrew in colorado drew the welder anna i'll be home soon
0: John Wasserman, Andre Johnson, King of Division. Josh Ziss
1: and Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who is sitting right next to me. Hello,
0: Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regrainery.
1: Campsite, Mac David, Nathan Polton,
0: Chris Rosson, Rory in Michigan, Michael Forney
1: Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman.
0: Mr. T, Harry Hugel, EJ Fennerin, Brad
1: Hipwell, Thomas Gato, Keith Hutchinson.
0: Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam.
1: Derek Wagner, Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Podcast. Publishing.
0: David Moore, Todd Grosbeck,
1: Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron, Barron, Chris, Chris Barron. Barron,
0: Sean, or er, excuse me, Sean Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite,
1: so, uh, Ryan Morrow, Jimmy Diesel, Dude Luna, Matthew Ricks, Co-co! and Marshall, and all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now brush our teeth and go to bed.